Amen. So, um, and then we're going to take up our, our morning tithes and offerings right now as well. Um, that it's, it's our way just to, of giving back, sharing just a, a small bit of what God has, has already blessed us with. And, and again, you, your giving allows us to be able to do ministry here on the south side of South Bend, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, there's multiple different ways you can give. If you came here prepared to give in person, there's uh, giving envelopes in the seat backs in front of you, also inside your bulletins today. Um, you can put those in the boxes on your way out. You can also give online through the app. Um, you can set up recurring giving. Um, but just want to thank everybody for your uh, continued faithfulness and generosity in, in tithes and offerings. So let's pray for that, and then we will go on with our message today. So God, again, we are grateful for your hand upon this church, Lord, and just pray that you would just use this uh, offering just to uh, bless your people. God, that, that people's lives are going to be impacted and changed by the generosity of Livingstone's church, Lord. And I just pray that you would uh, bless those that as, as they give this morning, God, that, that they're going to see your hand of, of faithfulness, your provision in their lives over and over again. God, that, that we give, Lord, as an act of worship, Lord, and, and we're just so grateful for your blessings in our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we have been talking uh, about the good and beautiful God. It's, it's the, the, the sermon series that we have been in. We're in week five of it today, and it's been, it's been really encouraging for me to be able to share some of this with you. We've been having just a lot of really good conversations with uh, numerous people within our church just about what we're talking about, that learning about the God that Jesus knows, getting to hear his character and his attributes and, and the things about who the, the God that Jesus knows. And, and it really has been a, a lot of fun to, to share this. And, and typically what I've done is I've ended our service with our soul training exercise, kind of our, our challenge that, that we've been issuing to kind of like help us to grow a little bit deeper in, in our walk and our, our relationship with God. I'm going to begin with that today. I'm going to begin with a soul training exercise, that challenge. And so this week, we're going to be talking about margin. Margin is the soul training exercise for this week, and what a beautiful word margin is. You know, mar margin is the idea of having a little bit of extra time in your schedule at the end of the day, or having a little bit of extra money in your account at the end of the month. It, it's just having some space to be able to, to breathe a, a bit. And the sad reality is that so many of us have so little margin in our lives that we're over busy, we're over, over scheduled, we're overextended in so many ways. And so this week, I just want to challenge all of us just to be able to find some space to create some margin in our lives. And, and maybe that means setting the alarm 10 minutes earlier and just being able to enjoy some silence before the chaos of the day begins. Maybe, maybe it's just cutting out some unnecessary entertainment choices that, that you have or just going through your, your schedule and just say, all right, what is it here that I might be able to say no to? But just what, what are some things we can do to just create some space? for ourselves, create some space for God to be actually, actually be able to speak to and minister to us as well. And so that's our, our soul training exercise, our soul training challenge for this week. We'll remind you about it on our social media pages this week as well. So what, what I, to begin our, our exploration today in, into the good and beautiful God today, I want to begin with the false narrative we're going to be talking about today. And the false narrative we're going to discuss is that God does not care about my sin. God, God doesn't God, God not, doesn't really care all that much about sin. Now, if you've been following along, if you've been listening with us over the last number of weeks, like this is a false narrative that would be easy to buy into because we've, we've been talking about, you know, the, the, uh, talking about how good God is, that He is gracious and kind 
and forgiving. That, that the good things and the bad things that happen to us in life are not a direct result of choices and things we've, we've decided to do. God does not uh, reward or punish us based on our behavior in this life. And, and last week we talked about how God is generous, how God is, is love. And, and I shared with you that God loves us exactly how we are. He doesn't love some future version of us. He loves us right now in the middle of all of our mess. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. And so it would be tempting to think, it would be tempting to believe that, that the, the choices we make, the sins that we commit, the, the things that we do wrong, that God really isn't all that bothered by them anyways. Like in, in fact, you know, I, and I, I'll be honest with you, I've been guilty of this, and I'm sure if, if all of us are being honest, we all have is, you know what? God loves me. God is gracious. And so I'm going to do what I want to do because I know God's going to forgive me anyways. I know God is going to love me anyways. Like we, we've all been there at one time or, or another. But that's not the, the full story. Now, if, if you can put a, this picture up on the screen for us, I, I want to know, does, does anybody recognize who this is right here? I, I'm, now, he's a little bit before my time, but I am... I, so I'm dating myself a little bit. But, but this, this is a picture of Paul Harvey. Now, if, if, if you know, Paul Harvey um, was, he, he spent about five decades on the radio. In fact, he was called by some the most listened to man in America. From, from 1951 until 2008, Paul Harvey had a, a news and comment section or a segment that he would do for ABC News Radio. But he also had his, his segment that he would call the rest of the story. Does anybody ever remember hearing the rest? Of, yeah, like mo- most of us have probably heard that, you know, and, and what he would do in, in the rest of the story segment is he would kind of share some either little known or misunderstood or forgotten fact about a subject that many of us were probably familiar with. We had heard a story before and, and he would kind of share a little bit more backstory to it. And he would always end the segment with, and now you know... The rest of the story, yeah. Like I and 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 I remember like hearing the the rest of the story segments by Paul Harvey when I was growing up, and the thing I remember like he would he would add some things that provided a little bit more context to a story that that I was usually somewhat familiar with, and and so this morning we're gonna hear the the rest of the story about who God is. That yes, God is gracious and kind and and loving, but that's not the entire picture of who he is as well. Now, every, 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 I guess let me back up. Like, the, the reason James Bryan Smith wrote this book, the reason I've spent four weeks talking about these attributes about who God is, about God's goodness, about God's grace, about his trustworthiness, uh, uh, about his, his generosity towards us, is because I, w- I would say the church, by and large, has done a pretty lousy job in talking about and understanding these attributes of God. Like, for the most part, these things are, have things that have not been done well with the church. And, and many of us, including myself, have dealt with these kinds of false narratives about, you know, God is, you know, God is angry, God is judgmental, God, God is punishing me all the time. But while God is all-loving, while He is gracious and trustworthy and merciful, and generous, and caring, and kind, and forgiving, that's not the full picture of who God is as well. Psalm chapter 5 verse 4 says that, for you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. 
And, and I, I could pick out a number of, scriptures, number of scriptures that talk about God being disgusted with sin, God being angry with sin, talking about God's wrath. And it, and it seems like those, those verses, those, those passages, paint a different picture of God than the God we've been talking about here as well. And so while God is all the things above that we, we have been talking about, the narrative of Jesus says something No, no, not not something different actually adds to that narrative. And and so Jesus' narrative is that God is holy. Jesus' narrative is that God is holy. Not only is is God full of love and grace, but He's holy, He's pure, He's morally right, He's blameless, He is set apart. And 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2 says that there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. And, and this is one of the paradoxes of, of the Christian faith. Because on, on the one hand, Jesus was completely holy, completely blameless, perfect, without sin. But he loved hanging around with the worst of the worst. Like he, he was morally perfect, but he hung around with the people that were anything but. You know, Isaiah says, that God is the lion and the lamb. He is both fierce and mild at the same time. John wrote in Revelation that God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end at the same time. And even Jesus' incarnation. Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. Like Jesus represents things that seem to contradict one another, yet he holds them together in perfect harmony and perfect unity. And if we're being honest, like as we read our Bibles, and we, we read through the stories, especially in the Old Testament, it can seem at, at times like God's character actually contradicts itself. Like if you read through the Old Testament, there, there are lots of times where it seems like God is angry. God is, is ticked off. He's ready to pounce on anyone who steps out of line. But then you read through the New Testament... And we listen to Jesus, and and it almost seems like he paints a totally different picture of who God is. Now, now I don't know about you, but have you ever bought something that you thought was going to be one thing, and then when you got it home and you started to use it, it didn't quite match what you had in your head? Like, has anybody ever bought something off an infomercial before? Like, you you know the knives that, like, will cut through a leather boot and cut through steel and then can thinly slice a tomato? Like Chef Tony and the Miracle Blade. You remember, like I remember those infomercials in college. Or, or my college roommate had the, the Ronco Showtime rotisserie oven where all you do is you set it and... Yeah, see, like we all know this. You know? And, and, there's, and so like we, we have these things and we get them. We're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then you get it home and, and you're thinking, oh, that's not exactly what I thought it was going to be. Like that, it's a little bit different than, than what I had in my head. And, and sometimes we can have that experience with God. That we have, we have this idea, we have these pictures in our head about what God is like, and then we read something and say, All right, that doesn't seem to, to square with what I know about who God is. You know, the, 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 it, in, in some ways it feels like Scripture can be the, the tale of two gods, in a way, the, the New Testament God being loving forgiving and gracious, and the Old Testament God being angry, vengeful, and wrathful. And so, like, how do we, how do we square these? Now, now I, I guess let me just say this. 
two caveats here. Number one is there, there's no way I'm going to be able to answer every question we have about things that took place in, in Scripture. There, there are things I don't know. I don't know sometimes why God does the things He does or why He doesn't do the things He doesn't do. And so there are some things I'm not going to be answering. And this is also a bigger topic than I could possibly do justice to in, in one Sunday morning message. But what, what I do hope to do is give kind of just a taste and an idea about the nature and character of God. And, and so just to kind of set the stage at the beginning here, I want to, I want to say this. God never changes. Like the, the, the story of Scripture is not a tale of two different gods, one being angry and one being gracious. But Scripture says that God never changes. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. James 1.17 says, For every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Like, there is no tale of two gods. God does not change. He is the same. And so how do we account for what feels like these discrepancies between in, in his character? And, and I, think, I think a big part of it is that there's times we see God out of context. We, we see him out of context. Like, like there's time, we, ha, we have to read the entirety of Scripture, not just individual sections, individual stories. Like I, I love Bible reading plans. I love devotional books, but one of the drawbacks of it is that you get a very, you typically get a very small snippet of a a much larger story. We get an isolated story and an isolated passage, and sometimes when when we read those, we miss the greater, the whole message of what God is doing. It's kind of like overhearing just a part of a conversation, and you haven't heard the entire context of of what's going on in the conversation. Like, have you have you ever had that happen before? This app, like, there's times Angel and I are talking, and the kids drop in, and they hear one sentence we're saying, and then they think they know what we're talking about, but they don't have they they don't know what we're talking about. Like this this happened. I was I was at the Walmart in Plymouth. This is a couple years back, and there was a guy on the phone, and and he he utters this phrase: "If it wasn't for my goat, I would have gone to college." And I so badly, like, wanted to stop him and say, I have questions. Like, what does that mean? Like, I wanted to know, like, what does your goat have to do with you not going to college? And, like, I I had just this small snippet of a conversation, and I missed the entire context of what was being talked about. And, And it's the same way with God, that we can pick out certain passages, we can pick out certain texts, but it'll give an incomplete picture. It'll give an incomplete picture of what it is that God is doing. And so the next point I want to share is that we don't get, we don't get to cherry pick the aspects of God that we like. We don't get to cherry pick the aspects of God that we like. And this happens on, on both sides. Like there are, there are atheists like Richard Dawkins, he wrote the book The God Delusion. And one of the things that Richard Dawkins does in, in this book is he isolates passages that paint God in the most negative light possible. But then we also do this too. Like we, we'll, we'd like to find the, the passages, we like to find the verses that make us feel good. You know, that, that you know, we love the passages about God's grace and goodness and forgiveness when it applies to us. 
we don't always like some of those ones where it pushes us to do those things towards others. And so we have to read and understand the entirety of Scripture so we can understand who God is. And, and so, yes, there are passages in, in Scripture that would seem to suggest that God is a malevolent bully. But the overarching message, the overarching message of the Bible, the overarching message of Scripture is God's incredible love for His people. Even the passages about God's anger and wrath. And, and let, me, let me talk about that. Because over and over again, we see God extending mercy to those who turn their hearts to Him. Like, I, and I could, I could give countless examples of this. King, King Ahab in Scripture. Like, they, the, the writer of, of 1 Samuel actually gives a, an incredible description of King Ahab. He says that, that he, he did more to arouse the anger than any other king in Israel's history. I mean, and that's a pretty awful list right there. And yet, God pardoned King Ahab when he turned towards God. God, God, God spared Rahab the prostitute when, when the Israelites were entering the promised land. And not only did he, did he spare her, but actually she was in the, the lineage of Jesus. We talked about Hosea and Gomer a, a, couple, a couple weeks ago, about Hosea pursuing his wife, who, who went back to her life of, of prostitution. Like, e even the beginning with Adam and Eve. Like, God is always looking for ways to show grace and mercy. When, when we think about the story of Jonah, like, when, when Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh, his chief complaint, the biggest thing he was complaining against God was, God, you are too merciful, and you are too gracious. And, and I could go on and on, but in the Old Testament, God is constantly showing grace and mercy to people who don't deserve it. And so while, yeah, there are isolated texts that we can find, the overarching narrative, the overarching message is one of God's love for His people. Ezekiel 33, 11 says that, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Do you hear the heart of God there? God says, I take no delight in the death of the wicked, but my heart is that they would turn from their wicked ways and live. As we read through the Old Testament specifically, like God is constantly giving warnings. He, he's constantly calling out to people and saying, all right, this is what's going to happen if you don't turn back to God. And, and, and think about it, like those warnings are acts of mercy. They are acts uh, of love. I, I remember going to, to college. I, Clive, maybe, maybe this is what you do. Like having a syllabus on the first day that was handed to us. And, and he would say, all right, this is when the papers are going to be due. This is when your tests are going to be. And everything was just kind of laid out for us. And, and one of my professors, when I was in college, he told us this on the first day. He, he said something, uh, this is a paraphrase, but like this is the expectation. These are the dates by which papers are due. And and he would say, don't come to me a few days afterward and ask for more time. Because if it's not turned in by that date, it will be a zero. You can ask for a grace period, but here's the grace I'm giving you. By telling you 15 weeks in advance, I will not accept it if it's late. I mean, and, and in some ways, he, he was saying, hey, this is, like, I, I'm trying to give you fair warning. I'm trying to give you a heads up. This, this is what... I want. And, and so when we think about it, what do we do with some of those passages that talk about 
God's anger. What do we do with some of those passages that talk about God's wrath? Like, we, we can't ignore them. We can't pretend like they just don't exist. So I, I, I think we have to talk about them and understand them in context. Because when we, when we think of, when, when we, as humans, when we think of the word wrath, like often what comes to mind is this blind, irrational rage. You know, when, when somebody just becomes so livid, they're, they're just out of control. And, and Dr. Smith, in, in, in his book, says this, that anger is a human emotion. Excuse me. Anger is a human emotion. Wrath is different. God's wrath is different. God's wrath is mindful, objective, rational, a, a mindful, objective, rational response. It is actually an act of love. God is not indecisive when it comes to evil. God is fiercely and forcefully opposed to the things that destroy his precious people, which I am grateful for. It's actually a sign of God's love. And so the next point I want us to, to talk about is that God is against sin because he's for me. God, God is against sin because he's for me. God's against sin because he is for you. He opposes the things that are going to destroy the people he loves the most. God doesn't judge because he's angry. He judges because he loves. And God's wrath and, and anger towards sin is not because he's mean. It's not because he's vengeful. It's because of his incredible, amazing love for us. Like, like think, think of any good parent. Like, I, I've told my kids this multiple times. The worst thing about being a parent is having to correct or having to discipline your kids. It, it's, the, it's the aspect of parenting that I hate the most. Like, no... I was going to say no parent enjoy... I'm going to say the vast majority of parents don't enjoy disciplining and correcting their kids. And we don't do it. When, when, we, when we discipline, when we correct our kids, when we, when we address a behavior, it's not because we're angry with them. It's not because we're mean or hard or, or, or upset. Or Well, we might be upset, but it's not because we're mean and hard and angry. It's because we love our kids too much to let them continue doing it. We, we, we have enough wisdom, we have enough experience to say, all right, where this behavior is going to go is not someplace that's good. Where this behavior is going to go is actually going to be harmful and destroy you. And so I'm going to do what I can now to stop it now before it becomes a bigger issue later on. In fact, the, the Bible teaches this very fact that a parent who refuses to correct their child is actually being unloving to their kids is actually harming their child. God hates sin not because he's a prude, not because he's trying to rob us from fun, from doing these things, but he's against anything that's harmful or unhealthy for the children that he loves. And, and, and one of the things that, that, I, that I love so much about God, I love the way that he interacts with us, is that when we think about how God responds to sin. When we think about the way Jesus responds to sin, like he's, he's the perfect model of this for us because Jesus, he, he was the perfect embodiment of both grace and truth, love and judgment at the same time. I, I'm, I, because, again, the God of the New Testament, God of the Old Testament is the same. Love and judgment go hand in hand. 
And there's probably no better demonstration of this when Jesus had his interaction with the woman who was caught in adultery. I'm, I'm going to read this to you briefly, this, this passage. In John chapter 8, starting in verse 2, it says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who was caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? Now, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said, Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the oldest ones first, until the only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked the woman, and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now, here, this woman was caught in the act. Like, there was no disputing what it was that she was doing. And the law was clear. She should be stoned. And in this moment, Jesus demonstrated grace and truth, love and judgment at the exact same time. He was gracious enough not to condemn her, but loving enough to tell her the truth and to leave her life of sin. He judged her behavior. He corrected the behavior, but he was merciful enough to spare her from the penalty of it as well. And that's the heart of God right there, that God is holy, that he's loving and gracious, truthful and judging. He hates sin and opposes it in every way, and we should celebrate that. It's good that we have a God who is holy and loving, who hates sin because of what it does to His people, but loves the most vile of sinners. I'm so grateful for the, for the fact that God is two things at the same time. And it's hard for us in, in, our, in our rational minds to, to wrap our heads around that at times. Like, how, how can God be like despise sin, but have overwhelming compassion for those who are caught in its grip. Like that's, that's the heart of our God that we serve. And so I, I, I want to close with one final passage from the book of Isaiah. And, and, and in, this, in this passage, Isaiah is actually prophesying about the day that Jesus is going to come back and judge the world. And so in Isaiah chapter 42, starting in verse 1, he writes, Here's my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Like Isaiah, he, he's prophesying about the day that Jesus is going to come, and he's going to judge the earth. And he says, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he brings for, establishes justice on the earth. But, but if, you can, 
If you can go back and put verse 3 up there on the screen. One, one of the things that Isaiah says, he, he says that a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Now, in, in, in the wetlands around the, the Mediterranean, like the, the reeds that were there like were very versatile. They were used for all kinds of things. You could use them to write. You could make boats out of these reeds. You could make roofs for, for houses with them. But the bruised reeds, the damaged ones, weren't really good for anything. And so you would just kind of toss them out. You couldn't write with them. You couldn't use it to put a, a roof on. You made a boat out of them. It would have leaked. And so what do you do with that bruised or your broken reed? Well, you throw it out. You burn it up in the fire. And the same thing with a with smoldering wick. You know, once your candle or your lamp has no fuel left in it, the wick is, is itself useless. It's just, it's just smoldering. It doesn't do anything. And, and the good news about Jesus is that Isaiah said that when, when he comes, when, when Jesus comes, when he brings forth judgment, when he comes to judge the earth, the bruised reeds he will not break and the smoldering wicks he will not snuff out. And, and, and the good news is we are those bruised reeds. He's talking about you and I. We are those smoldering wicks. We're the ones who are, who are broken. We are the ones who have no fuel left and are just running on fumes just kind of barely smoking. And, I, and Isaiah is saying, you know, like if you're bruised or broken, if you're smoldering, and if you have no fuel left, he's not going to throw you out. Like, like he's not going to just discard you, but he's going to restore you. His, his love and grace come hand in hand with his judgment. That God brings judgment and love at the same time. And so for us this morning... I just, I, like, I, and again, I, I'm just, I try to be really just honest and transparent with you guys just about where I am and who I am. Like, I, I'm, just, I'm just a guy. There's nothing special or, or anything about me. But this passage was speaking to me because there's a lot of times I feel like that bruised reed and I feel like that smoldering wick kind of feeling tossed aside by, by life. You know, you look at things and, and just like, oh, what possible good can I do? Like, I feel like I don't have much left. I don't have much fuel left in the tank. Like, what, what, what you know, like, and, and maybe, there, there, maybe there's other people in this room that are, that are feeling that same, that same way. The good, the good news is that for us bruised reeds and us smoldering wicks, Jesus had my judgment. I come to restore. I, I come to breathe new life into you. Again, we, we don't need to be afraid of God's judgment. We can actually look forward to it. We can look forward because God saw the mess in our life. He's, he saw the, the mess that we were in, in our hearts. He judged what he saw, and he was compelled to do something about it, and he sent Jesus He sent Jesus for you, and he sent him for me. But yeah, we, we've all messed it up. And yeah, there, there's, a, there's a, a, a justice must be exacted, and, 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 that, and it was when Jesus took our place, when he took our punishment on the cross. God's wrath was satisfied in that moment. 
And because of that, we can have freedom with God. We can have restoration with God once again, and I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful for that. And, and so I, I, I'm going to ask everyone just to stand right now this morning. We're going to pray today, and, and if you're feeling like that bruised reed or that smoldering wick, I want you to know God is, God is here for you. He's not here in judgment. Yes, God is holy, and yes, God judges, but His love and His judgment comes hand in hand. So if you would bow your heads, let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I just thank you, God, so much for being here with us today. God, thank you for your holy and righteous judgment, Lord, that, that you are not a God who just overlooks sin. Oh, you know what? Sin's no big deal because we know where it leads us. We know it leads us to destruction. God, that just like any, any righteous, just like any good parent, Lord, you want to steer us away from those things that are going to cause us harm. Lord, that your love for us is so great and so amazing that you're going to do anything you, you could to steer us away from those things that are ultimately going to destroy us. And so, God, I thank you for that. I thank you for your holiness and your judgment and your love. And, God, that that was played out in Jesus coming and, and taking our place to, to satisfy your wrath in that moment, Lord, that, that, that we, he came and took that punishment that we couldn't pay for ourselves. He was that substitute. And God, we're so grateful for it. Lord, we're grateful that you're holy. And, and I pray for those, Lord, today that maybe feel like that bruised reed, just feel like, all right, what, what good am I? Or that smoldering wick where I just feel like I, I'm running on fumes. I don't have much of anything right now, Lord, that you aren't going to discard those things. You didn't come to throw them out, Lord, but you came to restore. And God, I just pray for your restoration for all of us in this room here today, that we have a hope, and that hope is you. So God, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for loving us like you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together one more time.